0: Section 4 of The National Geographic Magazine, Volume 8, July August 1897. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Hawaii, in June 2018. The Forests and Deserts of Arizona. Continued. Presently, a wide view opens before our eyes far below us stretches verd valley and we are looking over the rim into the borderland of the southern desert region in red and white and yellow and brown tints glare the arid gravels studded thinly with a scant shrubby vegetation dry and gray the fresh bright green spots that catch the eye we find afterward to be groups of opuntias large prickly pears Whose red acid fruit we appreciate later in the season after we have learned how to avoid the prickles which almost invisibly cover them in small tufts among the trees the first we meet is a peculiar leafless shrub-like form with long slender green branches the falsely so-called palo verde canocia holacanta of the botanists the majority of the shrubs of the brush desert belong to the acacia tribe all with symmetrically rounded heads and like every other plant here provided with thorns or spines the peculiar adaptation to desert conditions making the labors of the collector a hard task many unfamiliar plant forms excite the curiosity of the newcomer we have suddenly dropped to the three thousand foot level and begin to feel the difference in temperature the canteen is often called into requisition by and by the heat of the early afternoon sun leads us to wish that camp were near uncertain of the road we ascend one of the glaring white limestone hills and lo what an unexpected sight meets our eye the contrast is so great that we think a mirage must have been risen to mock our heated brain. There lies at our feet, stretching away for several miles, a land of green vegetation, rich and luscious as in the most favoured spots of the Allegians in early summer, a broad river of foliage, interrupted here and there by fields of alfalfa and corn, with orchards from which the red roofs peep out hospitably. We are looking into the valley of beaver creek one of the affluents of rio verde which like all these watercourses hidden away under a dense cover of deciduous trees are the surprises of the deserts through which they flow and furnish the water for the irrigated fields of the rancher here we find not only the cottonwoods hackberry and ash of several species as along the streams of the more eastern plains but a tree alder of excellent shape, peculiar to Arizona, and a plain or sycamore much more striking and beautiful in its foliage than those which are planted in our eastern streets and parks. There is the same tangle of luxuriant vegetation, with grapevines trailing over bushes and trees, that we find in the bottom lands of our Gulf states with rock and debris and driftwood and sand carried by the floodwaters of the stream which comes from the pine plateau the forest watering the plain down in this bower of green a real paradise after the weary desert ride we gladly camp and enjoy a refreshing bath in the soda springs in addition to the creek and these interesting soda springs there is a still more remarkable sheet of water to be found in the well-known montezuma well a deep hole in the limestone hills probably originally a large limestone cave the roof of which fell in when the water collected in it here also we find reminders of the cliff-dwellers who a thousand years ago or more built their abodes in the walls of this huge well and used its never-failing water which passes through a subterranean tunnel into the creek to irrigate their fields as do the ranchers of to-day not only the line of the ancient ditch has been found clearly defined but the petrified ditch itself has been dug out the lime of the water having completely filled the original ditch with its deposit a thrifty agricultural population with whom agriculture and especially horticulture evidently pays has now taken the place of these prehistoric tillers of the soil, who have left the signs of their existence and their activity everywhere through the territory in more or less preserved ruins, the largest and most elaborate of which, named Montezuma Castle, probably because of its size and elaborateness, is found not many miles from Montezuma Well. Little is known of these prehistoric people but after seeing the present abodes and ways of the hopi and Zunyi indians there remains but little doubt in our minds that the ancients were the ancestors of these natives perhaps not so many centuries removed and observing that these cliff dwellings are as a rule situated near or overlooking agriculturally available grounds and recalling the history of the apache raids we conclude that they were agricultural indians driven to construct their dwellings in inaccessible places for defence against their enemies resuming our journey a few miles bring us to verde the abandoned military post known as camp verde where two thousand of the wild apaches surrendered to general crook in eighteen eighty three then and there breaking the war spirit of the race which had harassed for centuries peaceful Indians and white settlers alike. Except in the irrigated valley, everything looks brown and sere and uncompromising under the July sun. The cattle industry used to thrive in this valley, as in many others of the territory, and also on the plateau. But, just like lumbering in other regions, it was carried on recklessly, the natural meadows being overstocked far beyond their capacity, so that large areas which twelve years ago were luxuriant grass-producers are now absolutely barren, with not a spear of grass visible. The broad valley of Rio Verde, which carries the drainage from the Plateau to Salt River, is capable of agricultural development to a much greater extent than has been attempted, but, as in other parts of the territory, this requires systematic storage and utilisation of the water. By careful management the cattle, sheep and goat industry would no doubt be able to use advantageously the large non-irrigable areas. The home market for this secluded valley is mainly in Jerome, which is the seat of one of the largest copper mines and reduction works in the United States, with an annual output of about one million dollars in value prescott and the mining districts surrounding it are also within reach by a long day's ride there is hardly a drearier ride to be imagined than that from verde valley over the black hills to prescott up and down hill over dry ridges studded with chaparral scrub oak manzanita and the like we traverse a region for which but for the mineral wealth that may be underground no use suggests itself arriving at prescott we reach once more the altitude of the pines in Bradshaw mountains but we find that there is little timber left the town and the mining districts surrounding it having used up most of it prescott was once the capital of the territory and is still the metropolis of central arizona the supply base of many outlying mining districts and the cattle ranches in the large valleys on the north and west here we may take train for the southern portion of the territory a branch road starts from ash fork on the atlantic and pacific railroad whence it passes through the black forest not of spruces firs and pines like the celebrated forest of that name in germany but of sombre low-topped cedars and pinion the road running over trestles and loops to get from the plateau into the valley passing southward from prescott on this line we traverse a rugged dry mountain country which contains rich mining ground where a man may wash his day's wages in gold from the soil anywhere in the creek bottoms or canyons deficiency of water alone retards this mining development yet some large mines are worked by pumping water six and eight miles over the mountain as we descend into the plain from the six thousand foot level of prescott the temperature seemingly rises in geometric ratio and as we reach the plain at about one thousand two hundred feet we begin to suspect our friends were right after all in commiserating our fate we reach phoenix at night and the broad waters of salt river in the moonlight at least suggest coolness and the night warm enough to sleep outdoors does indeed afford relief from the excessive heat of the day when the thermometer was at one hundred ten degrees the southern portion of arizona can be subdivided into two sections fairly well differentiated topographically climatically and economically the eastern district is elevated and mountainous it is bounded on the west by the high mountain ranges of santa rita el rincon santa catalina and tortilla and superstition mountains the western part is a vast desert plain out of which like islands from the sea rise abruptly in parallel lines ten to thirty miles apart in black and purplish hues rugged and towering granite mountains reflecting the sun's rays with dazzling brilliancy these mountains are mostly devoid of vegetation and mostly also of soil awful in their barrenness, while the desert below may be just as barren in places, or else is studded with the sparse vegetation of cacti, agave, yucca, cat's claws, palo verde, mesquite, etc., a paradise of spines and thorns. There would appear on general principles nothing more depressing than such a country. So it is when viewed from the car window yet as a matter of fact to the explorer it is full of interest a stimulus to the curiosity and furnishing real entertainment and finally much of this hopeless desert promises to the future many a paying enterprise not only do the desert mountain ranges contain minerals of value gold and silver and others while salt borax gypsum sulphur asbestos Kaolin and pumice stone may be found in the plain but the soil is capable of producing profusely in this southern clime if only water can be brought to it water is the great problem here the little rain that falls over the vast region fills the watercourses where there are any for only a few hours after which what is not evaporated sinks into the loose sand and the river continues underground the bed above, running dry. Yet, as to the possibility of finding enough water to irrigate the most of it, who will foretell? There are really only two rivers which run always full, the Colorado and the Gila. While Gila River and its affluents, the San Pedro, Salt, and Hasayampa, which run dry occasionally, furnish only a limited quantity, the mighty colorado river carries a volume of water not only six times as rich in fertility as that of the nile but of almost limitless and continuous supply which would suffice to irrigate several million acres to be sure the bed lies considerably below the level of the plain yet when the economic conditions of the country require it there will be no difficulty in devising the mechanical means to bring this water upon the land as is being done now in a small way at yuma and with the addition of artesian wells perhaps it may only be a question of time when these dreary wastes will be turned into fertile fields and gardens such as are beginning to grow up around phoenix yuma and other cities a revival of bygone times when an ancient and industrious people occupied the gila bottom lands of whose existence now only the ruins of long fallen towns the remnants of large aqueducts and widely distributed fragments of pottery testify phoenix the capital already boasts of being a garden spot all owing to the extensive irrigation canal system which derives its waters from salt river and certainly the green alfalfa fields and extensive orchards of peach and almond olive and pomegranate are a most pleasing contrast to the surrounding cheerless brush desert the city embowered in the tropic foliage of palms and pepper trees with its luxurious hotels is bound to become nay has already become a mecca of the seeker after a mild winter climate and relief from pulmonary complaints while its summer temperatures may be said to lack nothing in generosity for eight months in the year the climate is said to be perfect the eastern mountain region is mainly a pasturing region the valleys are clothed with hardy grass and stunted acacias while the mountains when over six thousand feet high and massive enough to induce precipitation are wooded the drier exposures and lower altitudes support an open growth of stubby live oaks the trees varying in height from twelve to rarely over twenty-five feet, which in the distance have the appearance of an old apple orchard. Higher above the 6,000-foot level, and reaching to the tops at 10,000 feet at most, the pines appear, including several most interesting species, which are at home further south in Mexico, together with some of more northern nativity in these mountains within a day's ride from tucson we may find the most lovely cool recesses of a trout stream either in the santa catalina mountains or with a few hours of railroad added in the chiricahua range where we may readily forget that we are in the driest and hottest erroneously so believed portion of the united states here at the higher elevations among the pines the air is most delightful and while the days are just about right, the nights may, even in September, be frosty enough for a double blanket. Tucson being two thousand four hundred feet above sea-level at the eastern border of the desert is the rival of Phoenix, not indeed with regard to agricultural development, for this old presidio of the Spaniard placed there to protect the mission of San Xavier among the Papago Indians still in existence lies high and dry beyond sufficient water supplies unless some time artesian wells may be developed but it is or will be a rival as a health resort excelling the capital in the conditions and quality of the air helpful in pulmonary diseases returning to the plateaus of northern arizona there are two trips which we must take together from flagstaff for without them a visit to the territory is decidedly incomplete one to and through the painted desert to the villages of the hopi indians the other to the grand canyon having heard that within three days the celebrated snake dance is to take place at oraibi one of the hopi villages one hundred miles northward we get ready our camp outfit for a plunge into the desert once more we skirt the san francisco mountains which will remain our guide and landmark through the whole trip visible at any time and to the last once more we pass through the pine forest and over the black lava sands of the juniper and pinion belt coming out on the rocky limestone plateau with its scanty pasture and low shrub growth water is scarce on this trip and although spring wells and so-called tanks Clay soil depressions and rock cavities in which rainwaters collect may be found at distances of twenty-five to forty miles apart it is safer to carry water in the approved fashion we reach the river the colorado chiquito or little colorado marked in the distance by the line of cottonwoods on the morning of the second day and find its bed which is usually dry filled to the brim with a yellow loam puddle a rushing torrent we should have to camp here until the flood abates but for the enterprise of a trader who has spanned the river with a steel cable by means of which we transfer our packs swimming our horses now we have in truth entered a desert such as we have met nowhere else in the territory the scene is one of utter desolation not a tree or a shrub breaks the monotony of the flat table-land here it is eroded into deep dark coloured green blue and yellow-brown ravines and chasms there overtopped by high mesas with flaming red edges the sands reflecting the sun's rays in a white and yellow glare and the white summer clouds in turn reflecting not only the heat but the colors of the desert in the distance peculiarly shaped purplish peaks and pinnacles and solitary butts mark the limit of the desert proper and our destination two days hence while now and then a mirage brings into view a sheet of water so distinct and natural that in spite of our knowledge of the immaterial nature of the apparition our eyes refuse to accept the reasoning of our minds now and then we pass over different soils alkali in nature and still more forbidding than the sand then again heavy loam soils with scant brush growth if there ever was a region which would be thought beyond the possibilities of useful occupation you would think that this was the one and yet as we reach the trading post of the enterprising german whose cable helped us over the river we are as ready to distrust our eyes believing to see a mirage as when we found ourselves deceived in the phantasmal lakes, but there certainly seem to be green cornfields. We are not, however, deceived. There is real corn of various kinds, and sugar cane, and potatoes, and other garden truck, not less than forty acres in cultivation, right in the sand, and without irrigation. Listen to what the enterprising cultivator writes of his success in the first year's experiment. Quote, Our crop has furnished us 80 tons of hay and fodder. Sugar cane did the best, eight feet high. Corn, the old Indian variety, has done well. Watermelons, onions, and sweet potatoes seem to be at home here, and all that without a drop of rain for 18 months. Our trial plantings have fully paid us now we have a lake here made by construction of a mud-dam across a dry wash and filled by the floods from the upper country one by one and a half miles in extent and twenty feet deep the reservoir was filled about september fifteen and has lowered until now january third hardly fifteen inches irish potatoes were small but perhaps would have made good-sized tubers but that they were drowned yet we caught ducks in return which we shot from our boat. The cottonwoods planted have done well. Expect to plant ten thousand this spring. There are a million acres around me which can do the same. End quote. How is it possible, you ask, without water? It is due to the moisture held in storage from occasional rains and drainage by the sand, whose structure prevents its evaporation as well as its sinking away. Who will foretell the possibilities of the future after this experience we are not surprised to find further on the cornfields of the navajo indians on the sandiest sites much more primitive to be sure and when we reach the village of oraibi the thrifty fields small garden patches and peach orchards show that these sands and dry deserts can yet support a goodly population here we are at last after a weary ride over the sand and through the cornfields and bean patches of the Hopi Indians called moki by alien tribes in opprobrium and by some whites through objectionable imitation at the base of a precipitous mesa perched on which three hundred feet above stands Oraibi, one of the seven cities of Cibola, where for hundreds perhaps thousands of years the original race of indians have lived peacefully closely packed in their stone houses there can be no more picturesque sight than this town with its inhabitants clad in blankets of bright colours grouped on the tops of the grey limestone houses watching the snake dance nor is there anything more fascinating than to watch these ceremonies there is hardly a more promising field for ethnological study than these primitive house-builders and agriculturists but they are foreign to our chief subject and we can only glance at a few features in rapid succession this has been a festive time and hence the usual filth has been in part removed and a general house-cleaning and cleaning of hair and body has taken place so that inspection of the dwellings which the good-natured children of nature rather court is comparatively satisfactory the wealthier householders have even whitewashed their houses outside and inside and their stores of corn are in shipshape order the ceremonies of the snake dance last nine days in all partly in public partly in their secret temples where as a rule only the priests of the two orders the antelope and snake are admitted Today is the last day and the snake dance is at the end of the ceremonies the purport of which is to bring rain for the suffering crops the antelope priests painted masked and decorated coming from their kiva in single file perform a rhythmic round march and place themselves on guard before the snake hut made of cottonwood boughs in which the reptile partners to the dance are placed the snake priests perform the same round march, and then, placed in rows opposite each other, the two lines begin a low incantation, accompanied by rhythmic motions in unison, sidewise, to and fro. Weird is their song, weird are their looks, and weird their motions, but weirder still are these when their wriggling, writhing partners enter the circle, and the round march with the snakes begins. For this the snake-priests divide into sets of three, the carrier holding the reptile, venomous or not, and in full possession of its fangs between its teeth and rhythmically swinging its curling body, the charmer following him, with eagle feathers stroking the hair and shoulder of the carrier, or else his burden, while the catcher trips on the outside, ready to pick up with unfailing accuracy the reptile when it has done its service it is laid on the ground and darts away for liberty the dexterity with which this act is performed the man taking time to first strew the sacred meal and apply the charm of eagle brush to the escaping rattler makes the catcher the hero of the hour when all these twenty or thirty reptiles have thus passed through the right it only remains to carry them toward the north south east and west whence they came and set them free unhurt for they are the personified spirits of ancestors who have in the ceremony been induced to intercede with the deities the result of the prayer for rain which is the purport of the whole ceremony seemed to follow immediately in a most tremendous downpour which turned the dry wash at which we are encamped into a raging torrent sixty feet wide and five feet deep this result however was promptly disclaimed by the snake priests for their prayer is for gentle rain a drizzle as it were which they rarely get but we must hurry away for our last trip the one by which we shall always remember arizona if all else be forgotten the grand canyon of the colorado a flying stage from flagstaff brings us in a long day's ride yet not a dreary one through the pine woods past san francisco mountain again through the cedars open over mesas and through pine woods once more to a neat tent city a hotel establishment well fitted to its surroundings and well kept nestled in a depression among the stately pines close to the canyon we are within a hundred steps of the object of our visit but there is no indication of its presence nothing but commonplace landscapes albeit in the lovely setting of the shady pine boughs we ascend the slope unsuspecting what it is that makes people who have seen it so unreasonably effusive when speaking of it and then suddenly the sight bursts upon us the earth has sunk away at our feet to illimitable depths the first sensation is one of awe and bewilderment a shock a sense of oppression perhaps of horror overpowers you there is nothing you have seen before that has given you even a hint of what this is nothing you can compare it to it is an innovation in nature which it takes time to comprehend to appreciate then as you gaze grows on you a realization of the enormousness the gorgeousness the weirdness the grandeur majesty and sublimity of the scene speechless you gaze on the vast sea of ghostly giant shapes and are overcome by the feeling of your own insignificance as in the presence of infinity only gradually are you made fully conscious that you behold the most sublime of all earthly spectacles no picture has ever conveyed an idea language there is none that can ever give an adequate conception of the ensemble of this great chasm its vast proportions its intricate plan the nobility of its architecture its colossal butts its wealth of ornamentation the splendor of its rich colors it is not a canyon at all that you see the word belittles the scene it is a labyrinth of an infinite number of chasms and canyons that press themselves upon your view all at once a mighty mountain country filled with most fantastically carved gigantic rock-masses cyclopean castles thousands of feet in height gracefully towering gothic cathedrals round-topped moslem mosques greek and indian temples frowning rock-cities pyramids and obelisks battlemented fortresses all the wonders of the arabian nights multiplied and heaped together in a wild chaos stimulating your fancy beyond its power and not only is the ensemble present the most stupendous sight even the least imposing portions of the canyon are as impressive as any scenery that can be found in the world for two hundred miles of the river bed with a breadth of ten to twelve miles and more is here revealed the interior of the workshop of nature and the secrets of the building up of our earth's crust the surrounding plateau country is scored by intricate mazes of side canyons. In these, and in the main chasm to a depth of six thousand to eight thousand feet, geological history is exhibited in precipitous walls with a clearness unparalleled in any portion of the world, telling of aeons of rock-building and of millenniums of rock-carving by wind and water far below hardly recognizable if at all visible from above flows the great river which in its ceaseless rush has carried to the sea the sands and debris results of the denudation of more recent formations has cut through the pale gray limestones of the permian the pink and brilliant red sandstones and the purplish and vermilion limestones of the triassic the deep brown rocks of the carboniferous down to the sombre iron-black granites of the silurian and Archaean ages through which the river now rolls its yellow waters gathered from thousands of square miles in the mountains of colorado and the plateaus of utah and arizona here in placid and majestic dignity there with a wild current in roaring rapids over boulders and rocks and precipitous falls great as is the fame of the grand canyon of the colorado the half remains to be told wrote major dutton in eighteen eighty one in his superb monograph on the canyon and this is still true today and will be for many years while its geology has been unfathomed with considerable detail by that philosophical geologist we have but fragmentary knowledge of its flora and fauna AND WE HAVE HARDLY YET DARED TO THINK OF ITS UNDISCOVERED WEALTH OF MINERALS AND ITS OTHER ECONOMIC POSSIBILITIES. WE ARRIVE AT THE BRINK ON SUNDAY NIGHT. A THUNDERSTORM HAS LEFT A DEEP BLACK NIMBUS, A DENSE GLOWING SHEET IN THE SKY TO THE EAST, ON WHICH TWO BEACON LIGHTS APPEAR, THE bases OF AN UNFINISHED RAINBOW, STANDING STRAIGHT LIKE TWO SENTINELS ON EACH RIM OF THE CANYON to the west the sinking sun paints the horizon in deep crimson surrounded with a golden glory each one a cluster of small black clouds while in the north a wild yellow hail-cloud casts its lurid glare it was in this setting that through rising mists in purplish hues the mystery of the canyon awful in the utter stillness revealed itself to us a thought of god on earth expressed all meaner thoughts expelling whatever may become of arizona in the future it will always be known to the world as the country of the grand canyon the wonderland of the southwest End of section four.